You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Well, why don't you say thank you to the team who uh, led us this morning and uh, who helped us out. Appreciate everybody in the coffee shop and uh, all of our other kids worker volunteers and everybody who's, uh, who's a part of us. Thank you for all you do. Um, you know, I uh, appreciate Ryan's heart this morning. And uh, you can tell Ryan's just, he just spends too much time with me now. Look at him. He's like, uh, you know, he's just being moved by God and uh, tearing up. And uh, we actually had a couple of moments this morning where uh, earlier in the week we were praying and talking about uh, vision and future. And uh, you'll be happy to know that both Ryan and I sat in the, in the office there with the garage door and we just sat there and cried together and uh, just dreamed and dreaming about uh, the things that the Lord has in store for us. And uh, yeah, appreciate his heart and uh, everybody who's a part of us. My name's Chad. I get to be the lead pastor here at the house. So glad that you're a part of us and that you've joined us this morning. If you're here for the first time, we have uh, free coffee cards that you can grab at the info booth. Stop by on your way out this morning and see somebody there and uh, perhaps learn a little bit more about our church community and uh, different things we have going on, lots of different areas to get involved and grow in your spiritual faith. And if you would like to uh, know more, we really try to push people towards our social media feeds and our website and things like that. That really contains most of our information. Of course, we have an email sign-up sheet and things like that that you can do on the iPad uh, at the info booth if you want to stay informed and updated on that. And uh, find us on Facebook and all those areas, and that's a, the best way to stay up to date with what's happening in our community. Uh, we want to say thanks for your faithfulness and your generosity at the house. We have uh, these offering envelopes that you can find at the donation station. It's a self-directed, self-serve donation station. We don't pass around the offering baskets. You'll find it underneath the Scrabble board in the coffee shop. You can use your debit and credit card there. And uh, we just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and for sponsoring and supporting us and the ministry at the house. And we couldn't be here without you. You'll hear the, the kids and the activity and the noise. That's part of our community with uh, having all the kids' rooms and everything kind of spill out into one space. And if you haven't uh, already had your kids signed in, there is Treehouse Kids this morning. And you can check in your kids upstairs and then you can collect them uh, after the morning is done. Uh, also, for any parents who have little ones, uh, maybe you need a quiet room. The garage room, which is right across from the coffee shop, is available, and it's, uh, it's totally for uh, parents. If they have little ones in arms or fussing and need some quiet space, you can go in there, and the service is on in the TV. And so uh, we're, we're glad that, that you're all here and, and a part of us today. Okay, we have uh, wrapped up our series that we had been working on, which was on uh, Why Trust Jesus, and we're going to be beginning a new series as we get into, uh, we get into June for the summer, and we're just kind of in that in-between for, for a couple of weeks, and so we're not really following a, a specific theme or specific series, and so uh, I've just been thinking about uh, this, this verse in Matthew 6.10 for some time. It says, may your kingdom come May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This comes from the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching people how to pray. And he opens up, says, when you pray, this is, this is how you can pray. And, and, and right at the very beginning, there's this line that says, may your kingdom come. May the, may the kingdom of God come. And those, those short words that may your kingdom come is something I've been pondering 
and what it means for the kingdom to come, and what does it look like, and uh, boy, what, uh, what a big topic. As I began to study and read some more and ponder this theme, what a big topic and a broad topic that we can cover and uh, lots of different ways to go. Probably would even be worth doing a series at some point on what it really means to encounter and experience and host the, the kingdom of God in our lives and, and in our midst. And um, today I just want to focus on a couple of things, maybe a little bit more of a, a broader view of this, and how we view the kingdom of God greatly shapes the ethos of our Christian faith. That means it's kind of like take the, take the whole package of our Christian faith and how we live it out and express it, and, and, and the way we view the kingdom of God is one of the things that will, will shape that the most. Uh, the kingdom of God and our view of these things, it, it affects our view on things like faith and miracles. It affects our view on what it means to be sons and daughters of the Most High. It affects our view of creation and what it means to have dominion over the earth. It affects our view of government and politics and how the church intersects in those spheres. Our beliefs on the kingdom of God shape eschatology, which is a term we give to end times theology, our end times belief how we view the kingdom of God and how it's expressed. They, you take all these things and, and, it, and, it, and it shapes and packages how all these things are, are lived out in us. Our beliefs on receiving and experiencing the kingdom of God, they have a paramount effect on how we live out our faith in Jesus. And so most of the scriptural references to the kingdom of God, they actually don't offer extensive teaching on the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God is often mentioned more in kind of a, a matter-of-fact way or, or sometimes, in, 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 in fact, many times, um, when the kingdom of God is spoken of, it's mentioned in parables and metaphors and what we call apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is this, this, this um, things like Revelation, dreams and visions and symbols, and, 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 and the kingdom of God becomes wrapped into all of these things, and, it, and it, it brings a level of mystery to the kingdom of God because Jesus gives it to us in a parable, and we're supposed to look for the real meaning and understand what he's really trying to teach us and communicate us in that topic. And Scripture describes the kingdom as something we experience in the here and now and it also describes the kingdom as something that is yet to come or yet to fully be experienced in the age to come. And so there are lots of different ideas on what the kingdom of God is. And in fact, if we look at these theological terms, maybe they don't mean uh, a lot to you, but these are the kind of the foundations of where we view God and how we get our faith. So when we think of things like Calvinism and Arminianism and dispensationalist, uh, beliefs. And uh, I'm, aren't these good big terms that I'm dropping here? You guys think I am so smart right now. And, um, and, and Anabaptist and Reformed theology or New Apostolic Reformation and Dominionist theology, there's all these different views and all these different understandings of the kingdom of God and how we shape and live out our faith. And what happens is because Scripture talks in parables and metaphors and, 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 and so many people have taken and they've kind of filled in all their blanks and formed their beliefs on the kingdom of God and, and there's a lot of different things to, to, to look at. 
So a few main ways, if we're to take the kingdom of God and kind of explain it and break it into how it's understood and how some of us kind of understand it in some of these bigger areas, one of them is that the kingdom of God is a theocracy. This would not be what I would really hold to in my, my understanding and my doctrine and my kind of eschatology and, and things like that, but this is um, part of, of how it's viewed. Uh, it's based on the belief that God is building a literal kingdom that will establish his rule over the physical earth. And this, is, this would be like in, in the present age. This is something that's, that's being created and God is doing right now. And so a theocracy is a nation or a, a government system that, that aligns its political and legal system under a deity. There are modern examples of theocracies in our world today. The Vatican is a theocracy. We would see theocracies more prevalent in the Muslim world, and, and Muslim uh, theocracies are much more uh, present in our world today. We see them in uh, the Islamic states of Afghanistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and Yemen are some of the more common examples of this. And so citizenship in good standing in a theocracy in the country is equated to citizenship in good standing in the kingdom that that country is representing. And this is in part what leads to political extremism and violations of human rights in theocracies. Because contradictory political views are considered an affront not just to the state, but they're considered a direct assault or a direct attack on the kingdom of the deity that that state is representing. And so it must be defended at all costs. And it's fairly easy, I think, for us in our culture here to see the shortfalls of theocracy when we look at modern-day states of Islam. But the, the Christian church, we know, has also had some, some bad history and some negative history when it comes to theocracy. The Byzantine Empire was a Christian theocracy. And when it was overrun by Muslim armies, they lost control of the Holy Lands. And this is where we get the Crusades from, okay? This is, this is, and, and this is why, is because they viewed that as a Christian theocracy, they were holding the kingdom of God here on earth. And when they were overrun by an opposing army and they lost the Holy Lands, they felt they needed to recapture and reclaim the Holy Lands to restore the theocracy, to rebuild the kingdom of God. And so the Pope issues a decree that says if you join in the battle, if you sign up and help us restore and recover and rebuild in the Holy Lands, you have complete absolution, you have complete uh, um, forgiveness of all your sins. Anything you would do in war, anything you would participate in, this is what leads to the atrocities of the Crusades. And so there's, there's much in our history of a proven track record that theocracies don't work. And the irony of theocracies is in general, history has proven this, that they actually corrupt the very belief system and kingdom that they are instituting to try to protect. There's something about the political power mixed with the faith element that brings about a corruption and an abuse of power. And it ends up actually working against the very belief system that they're trying to protect. 
And so despite this, there are some Christian circles that hold to the belief that God is forming a kingdom state that is establishing his rule in the world to usher in his return. Um, there's another view to look at this, that the kingdom of God is what we would call a theocratic affiliation. This is the cousin to a literal theocracy. It's a worldview built, a worldview built in a theocratic lens. It's like where, where a theocracy equates a nation as being the actual kingdom of God, a theocratic worldview sees a nation as an expression of the kingdom of God. There's a distinction there. They're connected, but there is a difference. In the North American evangelical church is largely shaped by a theocratic lens. We believe that we're among the most advanced, prosperous, and powerful nations because God has blessed us as his preferred people. I might step on some toes today. You might not like my talk today. Might have some angles and some perspectives that maybe are unsettling to you. But a theocratic lens has largely shaped our interpretation of Scripture. And it's largely shaped how we express the kingdom of God in our faith around us. And the view of our nation being blessed and established on, being, being on, established on God's blessing and our Christian roots. Do you know that that is a narrative that has largely been propagated by white, middle, and upper-class male Christians? Even the babies are silent in church today. <laughs> you see, if we talk to brothers and sisters from our First Nations peoples or from African heritage or other marginalized groups, they would tell you that they have a very different view on the Christian roots and foundations of our culture and what it is meant for their people and what it is meant for their background and their family heritages. And so there is much in our North American history that is incongruent with the kingdom of God. We cannot be revisionist historians who just look back and say it was all good, it was built on Jesus, and everything was about the kingdom of God back then, and we just need to return back to then because there's a lot of what was back then that is not congruent with the kingdom of God. We cannot forget that because when we uphold the kingdom of God, we uphold the kingdom of God for every race, for every age, for every class, for every gender. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not comfortable middle class. I told you that you would probably be a little bit kind of shifting in your seat today, but there's much in our North American history that is incongruent with the kingdom of God. 
A strong theocratic expression of our faith often results in Christians aligning ourselves to leaders and partisan politics that don't line up with Jesus. And we hitch our wagon to something that all of a sudden we're not sure we really should have hitched our wagon to. And we get into some pretty bad spaces. Brian Zand, author of Sinners in the Hand of a Loving God, says this. I love this. He says, the kingdom of God is antithetical to the political interests of a military and economic superpower. The point, he argues, is no leader and no political party can model the values of the kingdom of God as presented in the Sermon on the Mount. And any time we make experiencing the kingdom of God contingent upon a political affiliation, it will cost us something. Karl Barth says whenever we shape God to serve a political interest, we will inevitably reduce him to something lesser than he is. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying it's wrong for Christians to have a voice in public discourse. I think we've preached enough. We've talked enough. We believe in that. It's important for Christians to have a voice. It's important for us to be present in politics. It's important for us to vote. It's important for us to be a part of democracy. It's important for us to represent Jesus in the public sphere. Absolutely. I'm thankful for hardworking, faithful politicians, Christian politicians who dedicate their life, their years of their life. Ron Cannon's a part of our community and a part of his family's here today. He's playing drums at Willow Park. I'm thankful for people like that who are a part of the kingdom, who give their life and, and give it to the public sector. But our hope and our trust needs to be in Jesus, not in government policies. Hear me, okay? Quote this, write this down. The kingdom of God can influence governments, but governments do not limit the kingdom of God. If your view of the kingdom of God is limited to who is in power in Ottawa or Washington, your view and understanding of the kingdom of God is too small. Our current liberal government recently introduced a policy that has impacted the church in Canada. Many of you have heard of the Summer Jobs Program and um, where employers are given a, a matching grant of government funds and subsidies to pay for post-secondary students to have summer employment. And this year, the government required all applicant organizations to check a box, an attestation box, to attest that that organization's beliefs and key mandates and convictions support and do not stand against reproductive rights of abortion. So this is an obvious thorny issue for a church to sign. And the last report from the Evangelical Council of Churches that came out a couple weeks ago is that not a single church that refused to sign the attestation received funding. Is a government grant nice? Absolutely. 
Is it an unfair policy that favors one group over another and restricts fair speech from one? And I, Sure, I believe it is. Does it seem like maybe we were targeted? I think so. But make no mistake, it is not enough to stop the kingdom of God. If I haven't been blunt enough today, could I, could I just do this for a minute? Could it, be, could it be that if a church can't come up with the extra $5,000 to have a Bible school intern for four months, it doesn't have a government policy problem, it has a generosity problem? We have like 500 people in our church. That's $10 each. That does not stop the kingdom of God. I've read the Bible and nowhere do I see the effective ministry of a local church being contingent on favorable policies and government grants. The kingdom of God is not dependent on a theocratic state. Our laws may become more restrictive against the Canadian church. We may lose charitable giving receipts. I might go to jail for refusing to perform LGBTQ wedding ceremonies. Government favor or not, the kingdom of God still goes forward. My Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We can receive blessing. It is nice to have favorable government policies and things that, that help us and, and, and that benefit us. The kingdom can influence government. But the government does not prevent or restrict the kingdom of God. Another view of the kingdom is that it actually exists completely outside of socio-political boundaries. Or perhaps in other ways to say it exists within them, through them, and all around them, and all over. The kingdom of God supersedes and extends beyond any boundary or definition that could be placed. If the kingdom of God is not fully defined by governments and countries and military empires, what is it? It's found in those who welcome the rule of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is the kingdom of God is not about a specific country or leader or political allegiance. And if we begin to think and view that God's kingdom on earth is more about this place than that place, we fail to understand what the kingdom of God is and how it came into this world. The good news of the gospel is the kingdom of God is for all. Galatians 3, 26, 28 says, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And I love this. It says there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is for all race, all age, all gender, all social class. The kingdom of God is present and active in all peoples, regardless of where they live. And you know, the Jews, one of the reasons they rejected Jesus is because the kingdom that he came was not the kingdom they were looking for. The the Jews had been so um, rejected and pushed aside and ostracized and had been out of their homeland and lost their background and lost their heritage. And they were desperate and hungry and held on to the promises that God was going to restore them as this people, this military, this economic presence with credibility and recognition among all the other kingdoms. And the kingdom that Jesus brought didn't look like that. It didn't fit that. The kingdom Jesus established was different than all of the other kingdoms of the day. You realize that Jesus has no regard for economic or military or government greatness. He does not spend time building those things when he's with the disciples. His kingdom is about a different thing. In fact, John 18, 36, Jesus says, his kingdom is not even of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a place. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the presence of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the relationship with God. It's all these, these things are the kingdom of God. And we experience the kingdom of God by opening our hearts to his love and his rule. And the real magic of God's kingdom is what he does in our heart and through our life. The mystery of his kingdom is that it often shows up in our lives the same way he showed up 2,000 years ago as the baby Jesus born in a manger. Small, unassuming, easy to miss, easy to be overlooked, where people right there didn't clue in, they didn't see, they didn't get it. The kingdom of God often comes that way into our lives. Matthew 13, 31, 32, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of God... In this parable, the kingdom of God does not show up in full glory, in full maturity, in everything it is. It shows up as a seed. It comes as a seed and it begins to grow and it takes over our heart and it captures more of us each and every day. Matthew 13, 33, the next verse. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in the, th- in the three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. 
There is a whole passage, there's a whole chapter of Scripture describing how the kingdom of God comes small and unassuming and gets in and spreads and grows and develops and changes and, and turns into something miraculous and amazing that is multiplied. It's a kingdom of seeds where you plant one seed and it grows into a whole garden and there's a hundredfold return. The kingdom of God multiplies and expands and spreads and it comes small and it gets a hold and it begins to go out. I shared part of this story a few years ago and uh, about five years ago, I was invited to speak at my friend's church in Calgary. The pastor, um, my, my friend's the pastor, he took me out for lunch uh, after I was, uh, I was speaking and I brought along a guy from his church named Norm. We had a brief chat, had a brief visit over lunch. A good guy. Didn't, didn't know Norm, didn't, didn't talk to him after that. About three years later, I get a phone call at the church here from, from Norm. Tracks me down. Tells me, um, says, do you remember I went for lunch with you? And I said, yeah, I remember you, Norm. Yeah, what, what's, up? what's happening? He says, well, I, I met somebody from Kelowna who was looking for a church, and I thought maybe you could give them a call. I said, sure, what's the, like, what's the story? How do, how do you know the person? What's going on? He says that his daughter knows somebody who's getting baptized from another church. So they visit another church in Calgary, other side of town. It's an outdoor baptism service by the river. Probably not this time of year. You lose people when you try to baptize them and they're gone. Uh, but but um, it must have been probably a little bit later on in the summer and things were calmed down. An outdoor baptism service. They're standing around, acoustic guitars and church picnic. And this is a great, great service. But Norm doesn't know anybody. And his daughter's there. And his daughter's up front with her, with her friends. And he stands kind of at the back because he doesn't really know many people. And uh, it's not really his church, and he doesn't want to block anybody's view. And he ends up standing next to a lady, and they have this casual conversation. And uh, Norm says, do, do, you, you know, do you come to church here? And she says, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't really go to church. Um, she's just visiting friends. And uh, they knew somebody who was getting baptized, and so somehow she got invited, and she ended up there, but she doesn't really go to church. She says so she kind of believes in Jesus, but she doesn't really know what that means, and she doesn't really know what it means to go to church and what that all looks like. And, and as they're sitting there, or I guess as they're standing there, and they're participating in the service, and it's full, there's lots of youth, and it's cool, and they got good music, and it's fun, and lots of life. She says, you know, I think if, if, if there was a church like this uh, if I could find a church like this, I would, I would probably go. And uh, he says, well, where, what part of the city are you from? And maybe this one would work. And she says, no, I'm from, I'm from Kelowna. Norm says, I know a guy from Kelowna. I met him like three years ago. I, I think from what I heard about his church, it's kind of like this. I think you'd like it. It's, I think they got good music and it's full of youth. And it, I think it's a good vibe. You, you, you seem like a good guy. You should... Do you want me to try to get him to track, you, track him down and call you? And she goes, yeah, sure, I guess. So here's 50-year-old married Norm getting the phone number from some lady at church. Gets it, puts it in his pocket. A couple days later, finds it. Gets on the internet, finds me, calls me, gives me the number. 
And I called a lady out of the blue. Hey, I'm Chad, and um, I know this guy named Norm in Calgary, and he told me you might be looking for a church, and would you be interested in coming to church? She says, yeah, sure, I think that sounds cool. And I try explaining to her how you find us, and she's like just, I just said, go to the internet, there's a little map. And so after service, in early September 2016, this lady comes up with a huge smile, and she gives me a hug. She says, I'm Leslie. I'm the one that you talked to on the phone. She says, I, I want to tell you that I feel like I'm home. She says, I, I can't believe that I, I've missed this for so long. For so long, she goes, this is, this is what I've been looking for, and I didn't even know it. She says, can I come back? And I checked my day timer, and I said, yeah, sure. I think next Sunday you could probably come back. <laughs> and she meets friends. She brings her boyfriend. She's brought her other friends She's gone through Alpha. She's a part of affinity groups. And she just began to experience Jesus and the kingdom of God. Well, she's with us for about a year and a half. And in January, we had a baptism service in early January. It was at the other service. You guys didn't see it. And um, we did the baptism service, but she got baptized in the second one. And this is how it happened. She didn't plan on getting baptized. She didn't come getting ready to be baptized. She wasn't thinking of getting baptized. But I preached so amazing that day. <laughs> and at the end of the service, I felt in my heart, I didn't do it in the first service, I didn't do it in the evening service, but in that service, I felt in my heart that somebody needed to get baptized. So I said, is there somebody here at the close of the service I know that you're not ready and you weren't thinking about it. I know that you don't have a towel and flip-flops and a bathing suit and you don't have dry clothes, and, but you just know that you need to get baptized. Is there somebody here that you just feel like this is the day and Jesus is speaking to you and you have to do it? It was like a minute. When you're up here and you take a risk like that, it seems like a really, really long time. But in the corner over here, a hand goes up, and Leslie stands up. She comes to the front. She says, I just know. She says, like, today, like, I just know that I know that I know that I need to get baptized. It's like I get it, and I understand, and I want to lay everything down for Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus. And her friend, Liz, Two of our awesome ladies in our church, Liz, gets into the baptism with Leslie, into the tank. And in front of everybody, with all their clothes on, down they go. And she just confesses her belief and her faith in Jesus. And she comes to Jesus in this beautiful way. She surrenders everything to Jesus. She makes this declaration. And it's this beautiful moment. Like how amazing is that to participate in that, to get in the tank in front of a bunch of strangers with your friend, with your clothes on, and to go down and get baptized. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the band to come. We're going to get ready to wrap things up. I tell you that story because it is a reminder to me again and again and again that the kingdom of God comes like a little seed and it shows up in a little thing. And if we can let it in and hold on to it and believe, it grows and it turns into something let me tell you about the little seed that was in Norm's heart that day, standing beside this lady he didn't know, could have just talked to his wife and looked forward. But instead, he took a step of courage. Instead, he thought, I'm going to ask her something. The kingdom of God came like a little seed. The kingdom of God comes like a little seed in Leslie's life. And she says, yeah, okay, I think that sounds good. Here's my phone number. The kingdom of God comes like a little seed when I get a message and I'm busy and I don't really want to call and I'm like, but okay, so I call. And she comes. And the kingdom of God comes like a little seed because I thought maybe somebody needed to get baptized. And the kingdom of God comes like a little seed because Liz says, I want to baptize you. I'm your friend and I've been with you and I've been through Alpha and I appreciate you and I want to be a part of this. And she gets in the tank and she baptizes her friend. And when the kingdom of God came to Leslie, do you know what had to happen? What had to be going on in order for all that to work? That I had to go to some church three years ago and had to actually end up having some lunch with some guy I'd never known and talked to since? That he had to end up going to some church he'd never been to before or since? that he had some casual conversation with a lady who was from another city that had never been to that church before or since, that they ended up standing next to one another, that they had a conversation, that she was courageous enough on her own, not knowing anybody, not ever going to church, to come here. That people here opened their heart to her and she met some friends. You know how many things have to happen in order for all of that story to lead to Leslie getting baptized in the tank? And the story goes on. There's so much cool stuff that's happened in her life. It's, it's, I can't tell the whole story. The kingdom of God comes like a little seed, and it's unassuming, and you can miss it. You can brush it off. You can push it aside. But if you open your heart to it, if you open your heart to Jesus and let him in, it is the most amazing, incredible thing. The kingdom of God is often that little thing, that little belief of faith, that little desire for more, that small act of obedience, that little thought, that little prompting, that small step of courage, that little conversation with the person next to you. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of more of those kinds of stories. How much more is Jesus doing? How much more present 
is his kingdom right in front of me and I don't see it and I miss it and I need to open my heart up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your kingdom. I need it to come. I want to lean into those little seeds, those little moments, those little thoughts, those little things that come my way. The kingdom of God is here. It's in you. It's around you. Let's just pray. Jesus, in this moment, I'm cognizant of your love and your greatness. About how you love us and ordain things and orchestrate things in our life. And Jesus, I'm thankful for the kingdom of God that is ever present in us and all around us. And Jesus, I want our church to have great, amazing kingdom stories of people that have lives changed and transformed, of people that experience healings, of miracles, of people that encounter your living presence. Jesus, would you help us to know and experience your kingdom? In this moment, I'm going to invite you to do something. You don't have to do this. You you can do whatever you want. You don't have to do this. But as an act of openness and of invitation, if this morning you would like to say, Jesus, I want to experience your kingdom. I want to be a part of kingdom stories. I would say that I think most of them are going to come like a little seed. Would you just hold your hands open? Say, Jesus, as you come to spread the seed of the kingdom of God, I pray that you would help us to catch it, to receive it, to bury it in our heart, to treasure it, to hold on to it, not to brush it off, not to push it away, but Jesus, to take it all in. Lord, I pray for those that even in this moment, they're thinking about the ways the kingdom is coming to them in little little thoughts, little ideas little steps of faith, little steps of obedience. Lord, help us to be people that are courageous enough to lean into those things and write great stories on our lives and on our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.